The Daily Rios for Friday, July 27th, 2012. Feedback Friday. Nico wafers, preferably the chocolate ones, which, by the way, now come in a variety of chocolate flavors. Um, how about Bonomo Turkish Taffy? Oh, God, I love that stuff. Thank God they started making it again. Too bad I don't eat that kind of stuff anymore. But, yeah, well. How about Whorehound Candy? Boston Baked Beans? No, wait, that's not right. Boston... They were like little peanuts covered with candy or something. Hmm. And the last one I can think of. How about uh, Hershey's Kisses with almonds, but thrown in the freezer? Hmm. That's Bruce Rosenberger, and he's responding to Monday's mmm candy episode. <laughs> Boston Baked Beans. Bruce, right with you. Love them. I haven't had the opportunity to, to convert many people to liking them, but I enjoy them. And I actually forgot one. I forgot a candy from that episode. Circus Peanuts. Do you know what those are? Those, those orange... They're not gummy, they're I don't know what the texture is, but my godmother used to always have those when we lived next door to my godmother and my godfather in the first house I ever grew up in. I don't know, they aren't wonderful, but the texture and the way they, they're made and the way they kind of melted in my mouth, something about that brings me back to that time. It's almost like liquid memory, candy memory. I think that's the reason why I enjoy a lot of the candy that I do. It's memories. Chris Beckett, he responded to that episode and he said, was your candy store a penny candy store? Mine was the next block over and I'd take a dime and pick 10 different candies dropped into a paper bag. Great memories. Didn't realize they were also drug dealers when I was five. (laughs) That's hilarious. And it's true. That's really ultimately what it comes down to is memories. Mine wasn't a penny candy store. I think the least amount I paid was 10 cents. For a lot of those cherry chan and lemon heads and things like that. There were penny stores around in in my neighborhood uh, blocks away. But this one where I got comics and where I got candy uh, mostly was 10 cent candy. And at that time, 60 cent comics. When I started collecting comics, they were 60 cents. And then they quickly moved to 65 and then jumped to 75, which was a big deal at that time. And eventually they would be a dollar and start the trend going up. They used to also, they had a spinner rack of comics, but the annuals and specials at the time, anything that was above normal cover price, they would always keep in the back and I would have to ask for them. So I missed a lot of annuals back at the time and I would have to to get them at his back issues. But uh, if I asked them to look out for a certain thing, Certain title they would. If I knew an annual was coming up, they would let me know. It's mostly Marvel and DC at that store. But it was a pretty healthy comic rack. Um, If I missed anything or if I knew that they didn't get something, I could go to a local newsstand that was at least two miles away. And as a kid, I would either take the bus or I would walk. Uh, It was pretty, pretty weird. I'll have to talk about my early comics experiences and things I did and how far I would go. Uh, throughout the city to get them because it's a it's a pretty interesting story so uh let me continue on for this is for monday's candy episode bill dowdy says i have to back up your girl on this one 
dum-dums are awesome. Butterscotch, root beer, cream soda, the eternal gamble that is the mystery flavor, love them all. But that being said, I share your love for all things Wonka, particularly nerds and bottle caps. I found dum-dums at my bank here in Philadelphia, actually. I walked in, and sure enough, there they were, a bowl of dum-dums. I was going to take a picture, but I thought maybe I would get tackled by the security guard, so I decided not to. John G. of the Donuts and Top Cow podcast says, Son of a bitch, Monday's cast has me attacking the candy cabinet. Sweet tooths unite. All right, from Tuesday's episode. Tuesday's episode is was the feedback episode that was supposed to be out last Friday, but I did it on Tuesday instead. This is from MJ from Southern California. She writes, Awesome episode. Wonder Woman theme is epic in my book. Agreed with all you said on the episode. I love theme music, and I actually didn't talk about this in yesterday's movie episode, but this amazing Spider-Man soundtrack felt a little bit off here and there. It felt almost too adventurous with a hint of the Danny Elfman riff, but there was one scene in particular, the one where he was fighting the lizard in the school, that felt almost too, I don't know, too high adventure, felt too triumphant for that moment, even though he was kind of getting the better of the lizard at that point, it wasn't anything where he was going to defeat him at that point. So, it was a li- felt a little off. Wonder Woman theme soundtrack, the movie soundtrack, I mean, not the movie, the TV, is awesome. Come on. It's just so much fun. Some of those lyrics, in your satin tights, fighting for your rights, that's, that's just amazing. Good stuff. Comic Break, talking about that same episode, said, just listen to the feedback. Tuesday episode, so if Christopher Reeve is your Superman... You must have a soft spot for Gary Frank's take. They've certainly made made it no secret that they were riffing off of Christopher Reeve's look for any time Gary Frank would draw Superman during the Jeff Johns years and also in Superman's Secret Origin. It does evoke all those memories that come from the movie, and I think that was the point it can sometimes come across a little weird. Some of Gary Frank's faces, in in particularly the Secret Origin miniseries, felt a little weird, a little almost too shocking. <laughs> um, I'm thinking when their faces and eyes would go wide, and there'd be a lot of lines around their eyes, and it was it was almost it would almost make me look and go, "Whoa, that looks a little freakish." So they made it a point to make him look like that, and it worked for people like me. Some people might not have even recognized it. Probably. Do I have a soft spot for how Gary Frank draws Superman? Sure, it's still not a definitive look for me. Uh, it's not a bad look. I don't, I don't dislike it. I don't think I have a look for Superman. He's, he's sometimes so iconic to me that the feeling I get for the character transcends anything that he looks like. I'm sure I could come up with looks that I don't like, artists that I don't like, their version of Superman. But, I don't know. There's, I guess there's some fun in delving into that kind of mentality, but it's not something I really look forward to. Sometimes it just, I don't know, pushes, pushes the wrong kind of message sometimes. I mean, you know, this, this sort of panders to... Uh, 
the stereotype comic book mentality. You know, what are the top five worst X-Men stories? What are the top five worst DC costumes? What are the top five worst writers? I, I mean, there's people out there who enjoy reveling in that kind of attitude, Comics Alliance being one of them, but uh, I, don't, I don't particularly care for that. Bill Dowdy, on the same topic, I agree with a lot of your sentiments on Christopher Reeve's portrayal. I've heard co-stars say that he used to be a little hard to work with in those early days, or at least a bit too serious and self-important. But his Superman was, is, and always will be the real Superman as far as I'm concerned. And I chalk up any less than positive stories I hear about him from those days to being a fresh, out-of-Juilliard young actor. It's like the fervor of the recently converted, you know? And the way he not only survived but persevered in the years following his accident was truly inspiring. My list of heroes is pretty short, but thanks to his but thanks to his on and off screen lives, I think he makes it onto that list twice. In terms of the comics, it's hard to say who my Superman artist is. I have such deep loves for the depictions of Kurt Swan, Kurt Schaffenberger, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, John Byrne, and even Ed McGuinness that it's hard to choose. Even John Buscema's version looms huge in my mind. And to my knowledge, he only ever drew the Man of Steel once in the second Superman-Spider-Man crossover. Decisions, decisions. But favorite writer? Elliot S. Magan, no question. He always seemed to have the best grasp on what was going through the cast's heads, particularly Lex. I have not read much of Elias Magan's Superman work, uh, Bill. I, I do have his Miracle Monday book, though, and I really should dig that out sometime and read that. So I'll bump that on my list of books to read, so maybe I can talk about it later. And, Bill, it's not quite the Superman character, but you probably already know this, but for those who don't, John Buscema drew Superman in the Just Imagine Stan Lee creating Superman one-shot that was going on during that one year that DC put out a whole bunch of Stan Lee books. And John Buscema was the artist on that Superman story, although it was a different-looking Superman than we're used to. Chris Beckett again says, uh, This was an interesting question, mainly because I had the same reaction as you. A definitive writer-artist does not immediately come to mind for Superman, which is not the case for most other heroes. He writes Flash, Carmine Infantino, Green Lantern, Pat Broderick, Spider-Man, Steve Ditko, Thor, Walt Simonson, Batman, Norm Brayfogle. But Superman, a title that I collected religiously after the Crisis reboot until just after it passed issue 100, and that includes action and adventure and whatever titles DC published through those years, doesn't have that immediate reaction for me. I wonder if this has something to do with the first time we truly are introduced to these characters. Sure, I watched the Super Friends cartoons, and that was my gateway to DC's heroes, but those never felt like definitive representations. They were too beholden to the simple animation style of the company producing the cartoons. But I discovered Batman comics around the time of the Burton film, and I picked up The Flash in the middle of the trial, and my first Green Lantern book was that one with the rotating main character artist, and that first Pat Broderick issue with Hal Jordan was one I read over and over. Spidey's a little different for me, but I think it has to do with the ubiquity of the original 60s cartoon that was so doused in Ditko style. That was distinctly Ditko, where the Super Friends was generically delineated. 
He continues by saying, Anyway, short story, long, I don't know that I have a definitive Superman artist. Garcia Lopez was everywhere with the merchandising. Byrne was the artist for the first comics I picked up. Of course, Perez is my superhero artist, so he gets a nomination too. Christopher Reeve is my Superman as well. I know I saw the film when it first came out, and then it really impacted me. I am guessing the same can be said of you, but if I had to pick a writer or artist who's my Superman artist, it would be John Bogdanov, partly because he was a local artist living off the coast of Maine, and partly because he drew him big before Ed McGuinness drew him big, and that was different and stood out. Great thoughts there, Chris. No doubt when you are first introduced to these characters, that's a huge influence. And the Christopher Reeve Superman has been around for a long time. Even though there's a Brandon Routh Superman in the movies for Superman Returns, it was a riff off of those older movies. It'll be interesting to see what this new Man of Steel movie does next year to a younger generation and to see if they latch onto that for any particular time, you know. Smallville really drove that sort of sentiment for a while. Um, But, so, it'll be curious. That that, that question will be curious to to see what happens. And uh, it's been interesting to to hear people's thoughts on on that larger topic. All right, feedback from Thursday, July 26, on the movies. Dave S. here in Philly says, Your girlfriend does not need to see Wolverine. That's just cruel. Catwoman was in The Dark Knight Rises because reasons, and they're reasons that I cannot argue with. Glad you liked them both. I was greatly surprised by Spider-Man's, as, as was I. Although, I have to say, when I started seeing those trailers, I was, I was really excited about it. I really was. It was kind of seeing the X-Men First Class trailers and just seeing something kind of different, but sort of the same. And when you watch Spider-Man, I mean, it still has the feel of a Tobey Maguire movie in design, Certainly the opening credits felt that way. Uh, some of the music, some of the, some of the way that the scenes, the setting, and, and the costumes popped off the screen felt very Sam Raimi, Sony Studio, I guess I should say. So it wasn't, wasn't too far removed from those movies. Chris Snell on that same episode says, Wish episodes were longer beloved the format. Love the schmoopyish interaction between you and your cow. <laughs> no, I hope that doesn't continue. That because that could get that could get uh, old quick for the listeners. I guess I don't know. I mean, we're to you know to put this all out there. You know, my girl and I. I, I never when I was first thinking of the daily race, I didn't think I would include her, or, or I shouldn't say that because I, I I kind of felt that at some point. I thought, you know, yeah, at some point she's going to be on there, or I will at least talk about her, or whatever. I mean, it's just all part of this whole Daily Rios experiment, right? And her and I, you know, we're in this whole puppy love stage right now, and it's new, and it's fun, and it's silly, and it's early, and, you know, I certainly apologize if it (laughs) makes anybody's eyes roll, but, you know, this is is what it is. This is is the Daily Rios, and, uh, you know, apparently if Chris likes it, I guess can't be all that bad. Someone is appreciative of it. And I'm just trying to be honest, you know, just trying to be honest. And a lot of that, a lot of that is feeding my energy right now. My, my creative outlet is constantly informed by many things, um, whether it's work or life or family, friends, whatever, you know, I, I think, uh, wait till I start my next school year at the university, you know, that I teach at. I'm sure some of that will also be thrown in there. Some of that will also inform the show as well. 
But, you know, what can I say? I don't know. I dig my girls. We're good together. So there's that. And uh, to the longer episodes, you'll get them here and there. Certainly this episode is is looking to be uh, a longer episode. And I know we, what that probably implies is a longer episode on, on like a single topic. I get that. And, and that'll happen. I'm, tr- I'm trying not to make this cast just about comics. So rest assured that starting in August... You'll start to hear more comic-devoted podcasts, but not on this show. There'll be all new podcasts. Or there'll be... uh, I'll start re-releasing The Tower, so I can catch up with that. Uh, I'm thinking of doing a podcast for Derek Coward's Reader Feed. I have some more guest spots coming up on other podcasts. I recorded an episode with Sean Stan Leroy Pryor for the PKD Black Box, all about JLA Detroit. Eventually, my 80s podcast will kick off, so it's all going to blow up, and soon you'll be so sick of hearing my voice, I'm going to be like Marvel. I'm just going to stuff your iTunes. That's what she said. Hey, my name is Jonathan, and I'm inviting you to check out the Riverdale Podcast, the only podcast devoted to Archie Comics. We update every Saturday morning with news and reviews uh, and good stuff and good times, all related to Archie Comics. So uh, check us out on iTunes. Uh, search for Riverdale Podcast or check out our blog at riverdalepodcast.tumblr.com. And I'll see you in lovely Riverdale, USA. Speaking of Marvel, that kicks us off into our miscellaneous section. Miscellaneous feedback and comments. This is from Matthew Graham from Ohio. Have you addressed Marvel's double shipping yet? Are you reading any Marvel titles that double ship? I flip-flopped from Marvel to DC for my mainstream superhero fix last year with the New 52. Double shipping was a big part of that. I'm down to two Marvel titles these days, both of which double ship frequently, Avengers Academy and Ultimate Spidey. Yeah, I have to say, double shipping really cut back on a lot of stuff I was reading from Marvel. Well, it was a one-two punch, because first it was $3.99 cover prices, and then it was double ship and some of those double ship are 399. One of them is Uncanny X-Force that I've either phased out by now or I might have one or two issues coming from DCBS yet. But once that goes, I doubt I'll pick those up at my comic store. I even the lack of Jerome Opeña on the art also killed that book for me. But yeah, double shipping is tough. Uh I stopped FF getting Jonathan Hickman's work because they were double shipping that uh, right now, I pick up Defenders. It's $3.99 book, but it only comes out once a month. And I pick up any official handbooks of the Marvel Universe that they might do, and I'm waiting for S.H.I.E.L.D. to finish. And that's it. That's that's the only Marvel I read right now. I was going to pick up the new Captain Marvel, but it's being double-shipped right out of the gate. And that No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to support that. I should, and I forgot to mention this in Wednesday's episode that the trade of this came out for the first six issues. But I would like to pick up the new Daredevil book, Mark Wade, and read that. A lot of obviously, it's gotten gotten a lot of buzz, and it's foolish for me not to read that. Otherwise, you know, I can't support what they're doing. And now, having said all that, I will be getting all the first issues in the Marvel Now reboot just to give them a chance, just to see what they're like. But unlike with DC's reboot, I'll be quick to drop any title that doesn't grab me right away, or at least have a promise for potential for future, for the future storytelling of of the title. Pricing will be a huge factor, release schedule will be a huge factor, Uh, so Matt, you know, I certainly feel your pain, 
But if these Marvel Now books, because if they come out more than once a month or they're three ninety nine, they'll get one or two issues, but that's it. That's it for me. Continuing on here, Dave S. wrote in, and he said, I have a feeling I'm going to hate you for leading me to Fearless Readers, and by hate I mean love. He's talking about Fearless Readers is having a, FearlessReadersOnline.com is having a sale until tomorrow. All of their dollar comics are now 80 cent comics. They're, they're having $3 trades, and I just saw a tweet where they said they're having $3 Silver Age comics. So if they have any Teen Titans issues that I'm missing, I'm going to have to check that out. FearlessReadersOnline.com David D., he says, What are your feelings on Grant Morrison's recent public declaration of being out of superheroes come 2013? I wanted to read a little bit of what Grant Morrison said here about this uh, story, because when CBR put it up, they put on something about Grant Morrison's happy coming out from image and the future of Grant Morrison, blah, 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 something like that. And then everybody who responded to that article, their article title was, Grant Morrison leaves superhero comics, never to write superhero comics again. And you just wanted to say, really, you guys need to relax a little bit. So, I'm not saying that's what David D. is saying. I just That was just a general thought comment to what I saw. But to his question, uh, and I wanted people to hear this anyway. So here's some snippets from that CBR Comic Book Resources article. It's a, uh, this is Grant Morrison talking. The Action Comics run concludes with issue 16. Batman Incorporated wraps up my take with issue 12. And after that, I don't have any plans for monthly superhero books for a while. Multiversity is eight issues, and I'm 30-odd pages into a Wonder Woman project, but those are finite stories. He continues, I'm not saying that I'll never write superheroes again. It's just that my relationship to them has changed, especially after finishing Super Gods, and I'm not sure if I want to maintain the same kind of relentless level of production. I think I've kind of worked through everything I've ever felt about these characters. It was a bit like going to the psychiatrist and lying on the couch for just long enough to realize what was I thinking. I don't know. I know there are plenty of different ways to use them, but right now I feel like I'm coming to the end of a long, intensive period where I was talking about certain ideas using the language of superheroes, if that makes any sense. I want to try out some new ideas and explore the opportunities that keep coming up to write novels and screenplays. Migratory patterns are changing. The superhero monthlies can always use new blood anyway. So it sounds like it's more about the process for him, uh, which in turn means about the content, too. Uh, you know, when, he, when he says something like relentless level of production, that monthly drive, that monthly schedule, and oftentimes that conversation we talk about artists and, and can they handle that schedule. But we rarely talk about writers, and we have precedents in, with some writers who are far ahead, Brian Michael Bendis being one of them, who likes to praise himself that he's usually months ahead in storytelling. But what is that drive? What is that schedule to writers? What does that mean for them? Especially someone like Grant Morrison, who really takes his time and, and has ideas. And what does that mean? You know, I, I, I think I heard that he recently went to the whole Marvel method of writing to try to lay out his thoughts and how detailed is he and... Um, these larger stories, it's kind of hard for these writers to keep up that level of creativity. So he probably wants to pull back and do some creator-owned work. Obviously, he's saying he's going to be doing a lot of work for Image, and uh, that's a good thing. Some of his small-run miniseries are usually hit and miss with me, although I'm really looking forward to Happy coming out. Morrison has a huge superhero workload 
that I, I I could just go back and you know dip into again and read and watch it grow, which is what I am doing. I mentioned it before. So I'm thankful of all the stuff that he's written over the years, and and if he wants to take a break, whatever, forever, how long that takes, awesome. Maybe and it'll only take something down the road to pique his interest for him to say, "Oh yeah, I want to do something with that," and then he'll be right back in the game again. I wouldn't count him out for superhero comics for too long, at least for another year or two, maybe more. Anything that he writes, I'll be there. I'll, I'll follow him. He, David D. also has another question. Another question. Are there ever any books you hold off reading so that you can experience them on vacation, on a trip, or otherwise in some unusual place outside of where you do your usual reading? And I think he's talking about novels on this one. I don't save books. I think the only time I was dictated by something was when I was. On, I knew I was going to be taking a lot of flights, and I didn't want to read something too heavy. I flipped between Game of Thrones and Hunger Games at the time, and decided to go with Hunger Games. It was just something I knew I could breeze through faster on some shorter flights, as opposed to something like Game of Thrones which is a little bit deeper, a lot denser, not a little bit deeper, it's a lot deeper, a lot denser, a lot richer, and for short periods of reading, that doesn't work for that kind of book. I would only get so far, and it would take so long to get further into the story. And I'm not a fan of taking books to the beach, or even on vacation. First of all, I like to travel light. <laughs> My books get, they, I don't want them getting damaged in the process. So uh, I stick to my book reading here in my apartment. Uh, some, either sometimes before I go to bed or, you know, hey, if I'm going to the bathroom. Which usually means I wind up with a leg falling asleep and, you know, can't walk for like a minute or two. But, uh, no, I don't, I don't really have any plans like that. You know, I just sort of see when I finish one book, what are my, what's my feeling? Where do I want to go next? That, that's pretty much it. Uh, again, Matthew Graham from Ohio, he says, Here's a doom and gloom thought for Friday feedback. Early episodes of the Daily Rios featuring your girlfriend are going to be very depressing for you if when your current relationship ends. All of these recorded memories of happier days forever sitting in the archive, taunting you with visions of happier days forever and ever. Unless you are the one that dumps her, of course. Then it probably won't be as bad. Just a random doom and gloom thought for you. Keep up the good work. <laughs> what a random thought. Look... One of the iTunes descriptions for this podcast that I've included on the show is is personal journal, and relationships are part of that. You know, I'm not, and I'm not trying to say anything here. I'm just, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I went through that over on CGS for over six years. Uh, I had different girlfriends or people I was dating, and I would drop comments here and there about them. I remember bringing one to a New York Comic Con one time. Uh, and it doesn't strike me at all as depressing, it just is, and it, I think it adds to the overall organic world-building of what I'm trying to do. You know, I see it as a plus, no matter what happens. And I talked earlier about that, uh, you know, we're in, a, we're in a great stage, and um, I, I don't really look too far to the future in these kind of things. I sort of like to take it day by day. Um, not to mention, it, it really does give me something to talk about along the way, uh, that I think most people will be able to at least have some connection with or some relatability to. And, uh, you know, I think that's why Feedback Friday is quickly becoming one of my favorite episodes to do. 
I enjoy the larger ongoing conversations that podcasting creates, that feedback creates. Uh, It also means I can touch on just about any subject, that candy episode being evident of that. But I also get to learn a little bit about mm, the listeners, about myself, about my girlfriend if she's on, beyond just comics, which I think is what I've no- I'm known for most in podcasting circles, obviously, because I was the producer of the most popular comic book podcast for there for a while. Um, and, you know, I, w- I want to talk about anything on this show. Comics, movies, TV, life, relationship stuff. Pretty soon I'm going to start dipping into theater talk, and not because I want this to, to be some kind of like vanity project, but it gives me an outlet. It gives me a place to put all my thoughts. It gives me a place to put all my thoughts in a, in a, in a medium that I love, that I have come to really love and appreciate and respect and hope that I'm bringing something to. And also, a lot of it is really to engage in the larger conversation, again, of any of these topics with whoever wants to listen and whoever wants to respond. And not everyone is into comics, not everyone is into movies, not everyone is into theater, not everyone wants to hear my, about my relationship stuff. But, but I don't think it, it should end there, and I think what can we learn about each other through any of those topics? How can one inform the other? You know, they certainly do in my life. Even if someone is, is an interest in comics, how can other people who are interested in comics make them understand who they are or inform someone else who isn't? Maybe it helps them in the larger discussion. You know, I mean, again, I guess it all boils down to communication, dialogue, podcasting. It's all part of that. It's all part of the cycle. Listening, responding, commenting, listening, responding, commenting. And uh, I, I love that. I really, I really do. And right now, you know, my pretty girl is part of that. And I enjoy having her input on here because she is her own person and she loves she she's a a geek too i mean she's she was a big fan of chuck and she liked here she watched heroes she did all the harry potter movies she liked the new star trek she loves zachary quinto what's his name zach zach quinto i think that's his name (laughs) you know i guess she likes guys with bushy eyebrows so you know it's to include her in this and include her in a such a way that she's not going to filter her thoughts through me or, or couch what she says because I might not like what she says. You know, she's her own person, and I like that. I like that she offers up her own ideas, and uh, bringing her into these larger conversations. That's a long way to say to answer the question that no, I don't mind any of that at all. I really do think it's just part of, of this whole process. And lastly, to close out, Tony H. Along the lines of all this, said one, we need a picture of your girlfriend. No, I will not be providing that, you stalkers. Uh, and two, stop mentioning your exes to your girl. Girlfriends and wives hate that stuff. Keep up the good work, my friend. Sure, I know that. I know that whole thing. And her and I, we we talk a little bit about both of our exes. I always see it as, uh, you know, their has beens and they're gone. They they lost out on an opportunity, and, and they couldn't see the good in front of them. That that's sort of how I see it. Pulling the faults out of the exes, or what, or what we did wrong in those relationships. I don't think I think ignoring past relationships is sometimes worse than uh, uh, bringing it up. Now we don't bring it up all the time, and we make 
we make sport of it. We make fun of it. But I take your point, Tony, <laughs> all to say. And I appreciate the feedback. That's it for Feedback Friday. I really do appreciate all the comments and all the feedback and all the responses. I try to get to as many as I can, obviously here on the podcast, but also in reply wherever they come in, Twitter or email or Tumblr. And, uh, you know, they all help future episodes. They all help inform what I might do in a future episode. And there's one or two comments that I haven't responded to that I think I'm going to put into a larger episode later. So ultimately, it just lets, lets me know that people are listening, and I certainly appreciate that. You can respond to any of this or any of the last, I think it's like 20 episodes now. Um, you can send me an email to peter at thedailyreels.com. You can leave a comment on the website. Go to Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Go to Tumblr, peterjohnrios.tumblr.com. Subscribe and leave a comment on iTunes, because I am now up on iTunes. And uh, before I go for the week, how about, uh, how about you go listen to the Chemical Box podcast by Alec Berry and, and Joey Alicio? You can start with episode 15. It's a, one of their reboots, I guess. Uh, they had a little hiatus there for a while, and then they came back with episode 15 and 16, nice and strong. Check it out. I really, I really enjoy the conversation they're having about comics over on there. And if you're looking for a new comic... Uh, something a little bit off the superhero path, go to onipress.com slash thebigwet. And there you can read for free, digitally, the first issue of Wasteland by Anthony Johnston with art by Christopher Mitten. And eventually that series will will get other artists uh, later on. Uh, It's a book I really enjoy. It's not talked about a lot. It's still going on to this day. It's up to about issue 38 or 39. onipress.com slash thebigwet. Wasteland. Check it out. You might like it. If the first issue grabs you, I know there are a couple collections out there. So that's it for today's episode. That's it for this week. I will talk to you next week, and uh, I am off to watch the Olympic opening games. See ya!